to that passage that was read in uh, Hosea chapter 8. I should also say that the, the, the library is also open and the speaker's on in there as well. I just want for a few minutes to reflect upon this chapter, probably upon the, the whole book, but in a slightly different way, just to think maybe the key verse that we're looking at is they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. And to look at, as we enter into a new year, the kind of choices that we make and to encourage us to choose Christ and to think more about Christ. Um, when we, we, I think we live in a society that in one sense is kind of obsessed by choice. Um, you go and get a coffee, and it's quite funny. Um, my parents are of the age that like coffee's coffee. It meant Nescafe, and it had milk or sugar, and that was it. But a skinny mocha, latte, cappuccino, whatever it is that you want, it's, it's just, you know, it's just this endless, endless choice, it seems. I think this is also reflected in our culture in terms of morality. People should be free to choose. I think it's also reflected in terms of the, uh, the health service sometimes. I was speaking yesterday to one of our folks who uh, works up in Nine Wells, and we were talking about how they're asked, do you want this operation? Or when, and they say, well, what? you're the doctor, but no, no, autonomy is really important. And I, I'm sorry, I don't want to choose in that sense. I want the professionals uh, to deal with it. Even things like sexuality, that's a big thing. You can choose. And bizarrely, uh, our children are going to be taught that they can choose their gender, which is really somewhat weird. Now, the Bible, to some degree, would agree with us or agree with this, that we do get to choose. We are rational human beings and we choose. Um, you go into this coming year and you're going to make choices. And those choices will impact how you are. I, again, if I can just be personal, if I choose to eat the wrong kind of diet over the next month, I'll be back up in hospital again. Uh, but that's my choice. I, I, I know the consequences of that. There's no such thing, though, as absolute freedom of choice because we're limited by our understanding. We're limited by our abilities. I can't, for example, play Beethoven's Fifth on the piano uh, because I just don't have the ability. But in the grace of God, we have choices about who we will follow. So I'm just going to look at those um, and consider here that I, Hosea is to put his to blow a trumpet and to say that an eagle is over the house of the Lord. That comes from Deuteronomy 28. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you will not understand. Here, God's people are saying, oh, no, no, we acknowledge you. We're crying out to you. And God says, no, you're, you're not. It's like 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is is not in him. I think for Israel, it wasn't in a specific decision to reject the covenant, but in their other choices. And I think that's, for those of us who are Christians, I think we need to be really careful because we tend to say, I don't think any Christian here is going to say, I'm going to reject Christ. In 2018, I'm going to reject Christ. I have come across that in over 35 years of ministry. I've come across that 
twice only, where someone specifically said that. But many, many times I've come across Christians who've fallen away in the old term, who've backslidden, and it's not been that they have consciously rejected Christ, it's that they have consciously chosen things which go against Christ. And that's why Jesus tells us, doesn't he? Seek first his kingdom and then all these other things will be added to you. And that's why it's good to be here on the first day of a new year to seek the Lord's kingdom. So let me just list from this chapter some of the wrong choices they've made to enable us to think about the right choices. First of all, they made a wrong choice of leaders. Israel had had a tradition of leaders being chosen by God, but that was changing. From the years 931 to 723 BC, there were 19 kings, seven of whom were assassinated and one of whom committed suicide. In 1 Kings chapter 12, we read about Israel as an independent kingdom choosing their own leaders without consulting God. Jeroboam breaks away from Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and he sets up rival sanctuaries in Bethel and Dan. He places a golden calf, and that's what verse 6 refers to, the calf of Samaria. <coughs> and that's why in verse 5, God says that his anger burns against them. How long will you be incapable of purity? Because here are God's people thinking that they know better than God. That's like um, sometimes children with their parents. Now, I know that none of the children here will be like this, but you may be tempted to at times. But I can tell you that from a very young age, I thought I was wiser than my parents, and I knew better. Last year, I discovered a letter. It's actually quite funny. I think I must have been nine years old, and it was a letter I wrote to my Aunt Helen saying that um, I'm very disappointed that my Uncle John is going to get married. I think this is a very unwise choice and I would recommend divorce from the vicar immediately. <laughs> I can't believe I wrote that, but at nine years old, I thought I knew better, you know, that I was writing to my aunt, my uncle, saying, don't get married. Um, when you're, you, we think sometimes that we know things, it would be horrible if we were put in charge. Uh, there's a wonderful uh, article, well, actually more better a YouTube clip with Matt Chandler talking about children going to church. And uh, I, love, I love the way that Matt Chandler puts it. And he's saying, you know, you don't say to your children, would you like to go to church? And, and you give them that option. Because he says, it's like saying, would you like to go to bed? No, I don't want to go to bed. Okay, fair enough. You can just stay up. Um, would you like to eat your food? Uh, no, no, I'm going to eat something different. You don't do that with your children. Well, in the same way, he's talking about when we're going to follow the Lord as a household, this is what we do. We don't know better. And I think one of the dangers we have as Christians is sometimes we think that we know better than God. We all have to make choices, but it's the basis on which those choices are made that's vital. And I think what I prayed at the beginning and when we read or sang Psalm 100, know that the Lord is good. I think the devil, probably the biggest temptation that will face you this coming year will be the temptation that the devil places in your, in your heart and mind, what John Owen and the Puritans call atheistical thoughts. And by that, they didn't mean that people were saying God didn't exist. 
but it was denying the goodness of God. And we need to be careful that we follow, if you like, the right leader who is God, who is Jesus, and leaders we have within our lives. They need to be people who are committed to following Jesus. Verses seven to 10 in this passage refer to the wrong choice of friends. In this case, it was Israel's foreign policy, trying to make friends and allies with different nations in turn in the hope of backing the winner. But Israel's got nothing much to offer, and so the other nations just swallow them up. God says he will gather them together, but not to save them. When he talks about a wild donkey, that's harking back to Ishmael, the son of Abraham and Hagar. He will be a wild donkey of a man, Genesis 16, 12. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. It's also used in Jeremiah 2, and the images of uh, a wild donkey on heat that will, uh, female donkey who will allow any passing male to come to them. And the horrible picture is that God's people are so easily drawn away from him and to other things. Now, what's the point of what he's saying here? It's very simple. You reap what you sow. Verse seven, they're sowing something. They sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. Well, how do you sow wind? It's, just, it's, it's, it's insubstantial. It's useless. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, says Solomon in Ecclesiastes, a chasing after the wind. Paul in Galatians says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's so easy for us to choose to spend our money on what is not bread and our labor for what does not satisfy. We need to remember in all our labors that as we're singing, it's the Lord who builds the house. Otherwise, it's in vain. So it's important our friends, if you like, it's our values, what we are doing, a wrong choice of leaders, a wrong choice of friends, a wrong choice of, of priorities. One of the key things for us is building relationships. Um, I don't think they're here, but we had a very, a funny Annabelle felt exactly the same thing yesterday. We had a number of people around for meal, as we often do, and they were kind of young people, but if you know what I mean, they were old young people. Like, they weren't students, but they had been students here, and we're saying, how long have you been here? 10 years, 11 years, 12 years. And they're sitting around the table, and, you know, they're married and so on. And uh, what was quite emotional, I think, for us was they're like our children. And it was, for me, it was very beautiful, actually. And, and Annabelle, I know, was uh, very affected in that way. And I'll tell you why that is because you've got 10, 12 years of invested relationships. Not that you're there all the time or you're always in one another's pocket, but just you build those up. And in this coming year, maybe you need to make it a priority to invest in your relationships. There are some things that you can cut back on, but I don't think your relationships, you know, um, you know you're in trouble when someone says, can I see you? And you open your diary and you say, yes, how about in four weeks time? 
you've got to, you've got to cut some slack, create some space that, that lets you have genuine and real relationships with people. And the relationships, the people you have with, this is not saying it's only to be believers. Of course not. We have relationships with non-Christians uh, as well, of course. But it is saying you need good, solid relationships with Christian uh, believers. And we need to develop that. Thirdly, there's a wrong choice of God's. Verses 11 to 14 though Ephraim built many altars for sin offerings. These were religious substitutes. There's a great religious enthusiasm. I don't think the trouble in Scotland today is a lack of religion. I think the trouble is too much of the wrong religion. We build altars that are intended to remove the results of sin and restore fellowship with God, but instead they just add to the sin they create idols with silver and gold. It cost them something, but they were choosing their own way to worship rather than God's. And again, I think in the evangelical church, we'll say we worship Jesus, we worship God, and we've got that bit right, we think. But then we say, well, we're going to worship God in the way that we want. And that's wrong. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What's wrong with a golden calf? It's meant to represent God. What was wrong with it? What if it helped people to worship God? What if someone said, well, you know, I'm a visual person and I need that stimulus? Well, it was pagan thinking because in that culture, the bull was a symbol of brute strength and sexual potency, qualities which a corrupt society tended to idolize as we do ours. And I think for us, we worship the Lord and we need to say, Lord, how do you want us to worship you? I think it is important. They rejected the many things written in the law. They rejected the word of God. They sidelined the word of God. And again, whilst there are not many Christians who'll take the Bible and say, no, no, I don't believe it, or I don't want it, or I don't accept that bit, I think there are far too many of us. What we do is we sideline it. Derek Kidner has a wonderful phrase. He says this, it seems to be an occupational disease of worshipers to think more of the mechanics than the meaning of what we do more of getting it right than of getting ourselves right. And this can degenerate from thoughtlessness into something worse, ranging from cynical detachment if we are sophisticated to religious superstition if we are not. How many times have you come in? I have watched Christian preachers sit in here in a service and I can see that they're detached and cynically observing. And they're not worshiping. And that's a dreadful position to be in. We're here to worship the living God. I think it's important when we come to church, sometimes I'll look out and I'll say, ah, oh, so-and-so's not here, or I'm waiting for someone to be here. And it's important who worships together with us. But it's even more important that we are conscious that we're in the presence of God. We can choose the wrong kind of God's. Isaiah 64 verse 9 says, Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Look upon us, O Lord, for we are all your people. 
but Israel has forgotten God, and they would pay the price. We make our choices, and we must not choose to forget God. It's important. There are some things in 2018 that you'll take your choices, and they're not that big a deal. Where are you going to go on holiday? Um, Lots and lots of things that you're going to do, um, down to the relatively trivial of what kind of coffee you're going to drink or whether you drink coffee at all. But we need to make a deliberate and self-conscious choice that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We are free to choose, but all our choices have consequences. Let me um, mention one. It's a very simple example. Go back to the children. I've known people who have said, do you know this? We're, we don't want to impose religion upon our children. Now, as I say, they don't say, as Chandler points out, of course, they, you don't say that about food, you don't say that about sleep, you don't say that about school. You don't say to your child, when they get up in the morning, are you going to school? And they go, no, I don't think I'll go today. That's, that's not how it works. But I've known people do that in terms of church. And then what they've done is they've, they've made a choice and they've said, well, we'll let our children, we won't, for example, go to an evening service, we'll let them choose and then... And then they get into a habit. And that, that the habit becomes that they just don't go. And I just watch them drift and drift and drift and drift, making a choice. In all our relationships, I think we make choices about what we do and what we don't do. And our relationship with God is no more different. We're free to choose. But remember, our choices have consequences. But I love that as well, what you sow, you reap. And again, forgive me for referring to the children, but I love the fact that children in the Sunday school are being taught the word of God because that will never leave them. That will never go away from them. And the Holy Spirit is able to use that at any points in their lives. Let me just finish this up with just saying that, you know, we sow the the wind, we reap the whirlwind. I hope that for some of you, This year will be a year of reaping seed that you have sown many, many years ago. I hope that for some of you, you won't sow, that God will have mercy. Uh, Sorry, you won't reap what you have sown many years ago, that God will have mercy upon you. It is of the Lord's love that we are not consumed. And I hope that all of us will realize that we're in this for the long term and that everything we are doing is sowing for eternity, sowing for the future. But I want to leave it just with a slightly different way. How does all this affect God? It is one of the paradoxes of the universe that God gives us freedom to choose. And that he can be affected by that. I think when God saw the way that human beings behaved in the days of Noah, we're told that it grieved him that he had made man. We're told that we can grieve or quench the Holy Spirit, which for me is one of the most frightening things I know in the whole Bible. It's one of the most terrifying texts. I think in that sense, we see God like a father who's watching their child make choices which are destructive, and you cannot live their lives for them. Your children cannot be brought up as as 
as robots who are just like you. You're bringing them up in the love and fellowship and fear of the Lord so that they can be free. But sometimes in freedom, people make wrong choices. But I think for me, the wonderful thing about choice is what God did, what God chose to do. God chose to send his son. God so loved the world. And the son himself made a choice when he said, not my will, but yours be done. He chose to die. He chose to to save us. And I think because of that, we then have the freedom to choose life. Because of what Christ has done, because of what Christ has chosen, we have freedom to choose. I always want, I, I would say this to absolutely anybody. And almost, it's, it's irrelevant in terms of capacity or of understanding or of the sin that's been committed in the past or what's happened in 2017. You might say, well, you don't know what a mess my life has been in 2017. You don't know the stuff that I've done and if I told you what was in my heart, you would never speak to me again. Well, that may be true. But God knows, and I know this, that God always offers to us repentance and the opportunity to choose him. We had communion yesterday, and communion for me is always a time of repentance. I have done, we might look at ourselves and say this, we may say, I have done some terrible things. I've wandered away, I've drifted away, and God says, yes, but you can choose to come back because this is why my son died. And I think that is important. We sow the wind, we reap the whirlwind, but we sow what God has granted and you reap it and you benefit from it just um, enormously. Some of us Christians were a little bit like really, really bad farmers. Imagine David Miller saying, right, I'm, I can't be bothered sowing winter barley. I'm just going to turn up in spring and hope that what was there the year before has come up again. It's, it's, that's a dreadful way to farm. It's a dreadful way to live as a Christian to say, well, I'm just going to hope that God will bless me and I'm not going to sow. Yeah, we have to sow and we just keep doing it. But what I love is we know that we will reap I know that people use that phrase to try and extort money out of people saying, go on, sow some money and you'll get loads back. That's not what it's for. It's just simply saying there's no way that God will not bless what you sow into the lives of the people around you, into your own lives. And who knows what the Lord may yet do. It's my prayer that God will bless us all as we've entered into 2018, and it would be a time of great joy. Uh, Psalm 126, that we're just going to sing in a moment, say that those who have sown in tears will reap with songs of joy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you call us to choose, to choose you, and you give us so many options and choices in our lives as well that you have created us in your image to be responsible. We confess, oh God, that sometimes we want to run away from that responsibility. We want to be like very small children and just want you to do it all for us. 
but you have called us to grow and to develop and to learn and to love. Keep us from idols. Keep us from making ourselves or our families or our money or our things or our jobs idols. Help us, O Lord, to love what you have granted to us, to love those around us. Help us, O Lord, even to love our enemies, those who have done us harm. But most of all, help us to love you and to serve you and to seek you. Thank you that this year is a year of opportunity and new beginnings. Thank you that it is a year of forgiveness and hope and blessing. Thank you that it is a year that for every one of us, it is a year which we will be nearer to being in eternity with you. And thank you, O Lord, for all you have done in this place, and not only here in this uh, congregation, but also in your church throughout this city. We pray for the churches where your word is faithfully proclaimed, and we ask that you would grant renewal and revival and restoration in this city and throughout our land. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to